dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sharing a masterclass on the many faces of Tempranillo. The event took place at Soulmate in Los Angeles and was sponsored by the Food and Wines of Spain. The audio was a bit difficult to manipulate to equal in volume throughout, so I do apologize for that. But it was a wonderful presentation by Master Sommelier Chris Gaither. He is not just knowledgeable, but extremely funny. So I hope you enjoy. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Did you know that you can do it right now while you're listening? New ratings and reviews are how the algorithms decide which podcast they recommend to others. And if you love the podcast, other wine lovers will too. I'm excited to share that I was just net mentioned in the Forbes magazine as a top 25 wine podcast to listen to. So it is exciting to know that people are enjoying the podcast. Don't forget to add your email address to the website and keep up on all things exploring the wine glass. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somday service, champagne and Coteron specialist, and a WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Uh, so as a sommelier, working in the field for years, 
One of my favorite wines to blind taste, and those of you that are past the advanced level with the court probably already know this, but Rioja or Rivera Guerrero, those were my anchors. And I, 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 I mastered being able to identify the characteristics in those wines. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, and we'll talk about some of the markers while we taste through the wines. But without further ado, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started uh, talking about Tempranillo. This is a really, really awesome grape, and this is the star of Spanish grapes. This is the most planted red grape in Spain, one of the one of five most planted grapes in the world. And uh, it's really, really important to uh, many different styles of wine in Spain. And a lot of uh, what we're going to taste today, we're going to taste some, some somewhat traditional uh, styles of Tempranillo, but we're going to taste a couple that may be a little bit more out of the box. All right, so uh, first things first, this is a thick skin, deeply colored grape. It's known for its strawberry and spice and leather notes. Uh, people even say soy sauce and hoisin, depending on the age. Uh, this is found in the great reds of Rioja, Rodeo de Duero, Toro, and uh, wines in Castilla Mancha. And this is a very, very important component in, uh, in Porto and Rodo slash Dow reds in Portugal. Uh, you know, but we're, we're in Spain today, so we're going to stay with Spain for a moment. So, uh, nicknames here for Tempranillo, Hoy de Guerre in Catalonia, Sexy Bell in Castilla La Mancha, and also around Madrid in Tinto Fino or Tinto del País in Rivera del Duero, and Tinto Ruiz in Porto, or Tinto de Toro in Victor de Toro. So, it has lots of different names. And I like your name. Sure, it's just the same thing as Tempranillo. Well, yes and no. Yes and no, because it's different from each place. All right, we'll get into that a little bit more in just a moment. So the origins of this particular grape, uh, this was this has been found all throughout the Iberian Peninsula dating back thousands of years. And the parents are Albio and Benedicto. Okay, Albio is a white grape that's found in Castilla León. This is used to make a lot of different, really fresh, easy drinking styles of wines. Uh, a predominant grape used to, uh, in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, whites. Alright, Benedicto is a rare, much more obscure red grape uh, that's planted in eastern Arizona. Alright, prior to the 17th century, uh, Tempranillo wines, they were mainly found in the cooler provinces uh, in northern Spain and Portugal. This wine, uh, or rather, this grape variety does well in slightly cooler areas and also prefers calcareous soils. So, uh, La Rioja and uh, Valdepeñas, they made Tempranillo the main grape variety for uh, historic. Historic, and this still makes up the majority of those plants today. That's a really beautiful vineyard there. Uh, I believe that's in, uh, looks like that's in Rioja. Alright, let's keep going. So, some of the characteristics here uh, the name is derived from Tempranillo, and the meal is the native uh, early lily. Alright, uh, this is the early lily grape variety that ripens up to about two weeks before Tarnatra. And 
particularly air regions, not the region they're going to. Alright? So this prefers calcareous soils. You'll, you'll see this this um, this pattern there is in different areas of growing. And it also this creates areas of very really well with oak. It marries well with French oak. It marries well with American oak in different formats and also in different amounts of units, if you will. For example, uh, the case of the wine that's aged in uh, approximately 40% new oak, which will give it a much different uh, characteristic uh, in terms of flavor. All right? Uh, and also, we have a case of new wine. I know I have some people looking at you like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, I, just have, I just have my lunch. Okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. Don't worry. And I, I love, thank, thank you, Evan, for, for going first and just crushing it because now I get to get everybody after we have lunch. And I see some people, I'm going to have to turn it up a little bit so we don't have people nodding off here, okay? All right, uh, so long story short, this is a fantastic grape. It varies well with, uh, with oak and uh, it can be blended with a lot of different grapes. I have a little uh, pie chart here. We're going to get a rating chart, if you will. So Spain has uh, roughly almost 90% of the plantings of Tempranillo in the world. Obviously, uh, it, it you know, originated uh, in the Iberian. Uh, but, so it makes sense. Uh, Alright. So what are we doing today? What are we doing? We're going to go ahead and start tasting if you want. Yes, exactly. That's what we're doing. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start tasting. We're going to look at three prisms. Uh, so we're going to look at uh, real hot through the various levels. Creanza, Reserva, Gran Reserva. We're also going to be looking at a non-traditional uh, format of Tempranillo blended with a very international grape coming from Castilla Manta. And then we're also going to look at Two wines, uh, one of them coming just right outside of the Bento Blair, and the other one coming from Toro. So let's go ahead, pick up glass number one. Pick up glass number one, let's taste through it. Alright? And I'm going to just, you know, talk about this a little bit before I, I head to what the wine is, because um, I want us to get a particular point of view about this wine without necessarily having the bias of me reading off information. For, uh, for you, <laughs> and giving you details about how it was made, how much oak cutting had, uh, different different uh, details about it. So first things first, you may notice that this has a really, really beautiful, somewhat mellow, harmonious uh, bouquet. It definitely has some oak influence. You'll notice that's one of the uh, defining characteristics, one of them, in, in all of these wines. And on top of that, it has a, a little bit of a reserve quality. Alright? Um, uh, of red black fruits. On the palate, easy drinking. Bright. Really, really nice. Smack. Kind of got smacking, not watering acidity. But not too much done. Very pleasant. Very easy going down. Okay? And I'm sure you all can probably imagine. This is probably a Crianza Rioja, right? <laughs> it's the first one I mentioned. <laughs> How many people like one of the one? Maybe a few? I know, you're, you're, you're uncertain, that's okay. That's okay, you'll be more certain later. Alright, one of the one, this is a, uh, this is a Rioja uh, Crianza. And I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. But now go ahead and taste through one number two, one number three. We'll talk about it in just a moment while I tell you about uh, soda. Uh, uh, history. So this was one of the first Spanish regions to receive its VO status in 1925. 
que dije que era una acción de hoy que está dedicada en la disciplina de Iguan. Me tiene culto por centuries. Alright, for centuries, put that down. Put that down. It is guided by Christian monks ever since the Alright, and this was an area that was founded by the ancient Romans and it has been popular since the 16th century. So, this is an area where you have a lot of French winemaking techniques that were adopted, especially during the 18th century and also especially the 19th century, right around the time when Philosopher uh, was devastating, um, devastating France and other countries. Alright, and Philosopher, this helped to bring more faith. And your right to Rioja, uh, but also a few problems. But by the time philosopher hit uh, Rioja, especially, um, there had already been uh, uh, efforts to mitigate philosopher, and they knew what to do. It was just relatively expensive uh, to solve the problem. All right, uh, the Spanish Civil War this destroyed lots of different layers, but also this created the impetus to do replanting and to change the architecture of vineyards, which was really, really interesting, uh, especially at that time. And that's, part, that's part of the reason a lot of uh, vineyard architecture is the way it is uh, in Spain, which I'll get to in just a moment. Um, so this region was revitalized quite heavily in the 1970s and 1980s, and also led to a little bit of a renaissance um, around that time, similar to how in Tuscany you had the super Tuscany movement, you had a, a little bit of a, a if you will, a, a couple of camps of traditional traditionalists and modernists, especially within Rioja, uh, people that figured out, oh, I can start making wine a little bit differently, I can move them a little bit differently, and these wines can compete with some of the other areas that are coming into prominence. Uh, and just a, a very important thing to remember, we historically would want everything happened concurrently. So at this time, you had the judgment of Paris from 1976 was just passed. And American wine, specifically California and Napa wine, were becoming more prominent. So you have producers that were trying to strike out on their own and get a little bit more for what they were doing. So that's kind of what was happening over the 1970s and 80s. So Rioja Alta, this is about 60% of the plantings of our Tempranillo, Alavesa, about 80%. Alavesa, uh, particularly for Tempranillo. Uh, that's the area that's more likely to have a really, really bright, really high acid uh, style of Tempranillo that's often uh, utilizing uh, whole cluster fermentation or carbonic maceration to promote an easier drinking, early picking style, if you will. Uh, and then Rioja Baja, uh, this is, or rather Rioja Oriental, uh, this is roughly hovering around 38% uh, mark because this is a much warmer area. Uh, much more arid. And Tempranillo does well, fairly well, but Renata uh, does a little bit better. Alright? And altitudes range from about 350 meters to 650 meters. Uh, one really important thing to keep in mind is that for fine wine regions, Spain has some of the highest altitude vineyards on average in the world. Uh, and then this, this uh, Mediterranean climate is influenced by high altitude. And well, like Evan mentioned in his previous, uh, in, in his uh, seminar in his, his class, uh, altitude varies here and that can help to create different types of climatic conditions. Alright, so the first one we're tasting is Vina uh, Martina Miranda. This is a Rioja, Rioja 2018, 100% Tempranillo. Uh, this is a blend of Rioja Alta as well as Rioja Alavesa Vineyards. Uh, Permanent Saint Still with some 
pumpovers, uh, aged for 12 months at 225 liter American owned fabricas. Family owned state was founded in 1889, so this makes it one of the older estates in Rioja. This is firmly a traditional producer, um, and this is this particular finish was described as good by the Consejo Regulador. Good, this is a good finish. Soils will find uh, a lot of uh, white cup 
Darius Clay is Robert Brown. I'm Darius Clay in Yoha Alabama. Uh, Yoha uh is going to have a little more sedimentary soil than uh, as well as an up Darius Clay. And then down in Yoha Baja, this is mainly Bottle, which is a, a brown type of clay that is better for, uh, specifically better for so yes, that does play a slight difference. Uh, the majority of the ones we're facing today for Bioha are going to mainly be coming from the Alavesa and Bioha Alta areas, where they have a very similar soil composition, so that you can kind of sort of focus on one main soil type, if you will. Fantastic question. I love it. I love it. Keep them coming. All right. Are you guys, did you all please do one number three? Perfect, perfect. We got another question. I love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so, standard retail price for wine number, I'll, I'll tell you the cost and let me give you the alcohol level as well, because those are two very important pieces of information. Uh, the standard retail price for wine number one for the Martinez Plaza is roughly about $20 retail. That's a fantastic deal! I know you want some right now. You let him go out there and buy some. Yes, you are, sir. Please do that. Uh, and the, 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 the alcohol that's stipulated on the bottle says 13%. I will hold them to that. I mean, I, I, there, there is, of course, uh, an allowance of about 1.5%. This is probably a little bit higher than 13, but that's okay. Uh, one number two, uh, the Familia Fogues. Uh, this has a standard retail price of $25. That's a deal? What? What? So I'm getting a reserve of $5 more? You're kidding me. Exactly, it's a 2015. This is a fantastic vintage for Rioja. 25 bucks gets you on the door. And the uh, alcohol level on this, uh, I believe, is 14%. Alright, so this is a nice bump up and a little bit more uh, uh, transparent than the that amount of Christmas in the Alright, please go ahead, please, through line number three if you have not. Pick it up and notice there's a slight difference here. This has a lot going on. Maybe just a little bit more concentrated. Oh, that's so good. This is one of my favorite real house supply tastes. <laughs> and the reason why is because I bought a lot of it and I just pop it open. And I was drinking it and that was my taste of later as a form of soft practice. I know, I know. It's great. Alright, so wine number three is a is a uh, Rum Reserva 2016. This is one year younger than the previous wine. I'll let you guys guess from how much you think this costs. Uh, so this is coming from Marcus and Vistel, one of the oldest producers in Rio, not one of them. Uh, and this is the majority Tempranillo. It's aged French oak for 26 months, aged three years in bottom. So just one quick thing I need to mention. So uh, for Brianza, age two years, at least six months to a year. Alright. If you have a reserva, it's age three years with one year old. If you have a brown reserva, this is age five years. Two years or no. Alright. And it's most reducible age in wine and bottles for three years and sometimes longer. Uh, so this is a really, really cool wine. This is actually a, uh, in most places, look, this is the current release of what's being offered. So it's a nice game wine. Alright, so this is a little bit more traditional in style, despite using French oak. And uh, this was founded in 1858. 
Uh, and this is among some of the oldest continually producing states within the Doha. And this is a this particular dance was also described as very golden. Uh, so I like saying that. I'm sorry, guys. I, I watch too much TV, you know. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, how many people like line number three? Raise your hand. Yeah. You guys didn't realize I flipped the script a little bit. I lied to you. That's always going to have you case in person. Come as you like them, and then I told you about this in person. Then I asked you, ask you if you like to do it. Oh, yeah, I like to Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Oh, I got my Thank you, thank you very much. Perfect. So, so the thing about Guam Reserve, the whole idea behind this is uh, the custom, especially with West Rioja, is that they're going to eat the white food. They're going to age you on your release when it's ready to drink. So, one number one was pleasing, easy drinking. This is something I would put on the dinner table, and maybe this would be an appetizing style, yo pop, if you know what I'm saying. I'm having light conversations with friends. We're not getting into anything too deep. You got some snacks on the table, and you did have some mahal cheese or something along those lines. Maybe you as well. No, no, no. We have some mahal. We have some, some, some younger mahal cheese. And that's beautiful. It's pretty. Wine number two, we're getting a little bit more serious. This is the wine I would bring to a friend's house that I don't know that well. <laughs> so I'm just being really fun. I spent 25 bucks on it, and it's delicious. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it has something for everybody. Thank, thank you, thank you. All right? And then wine number three, if I if I know that you like real wine, I know you like drinking wine that has a little more substance to it, that's what I'm bringing over to your house, especially when you invited me, and I'm your friend, and you know me well. And you're like, Chris, come over for dinner, and then we're going to have some hot on the baby, go along with some idiots of all. We're going to have this, and we're going to have some nice, lively conversation, talking about deep subjects. All right? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Price point on number three, 50 bucks. Gets you at the door. All right? And this is very challenging, but it moves your body from as in, uh, uh, retail, but it's around the 50 bucks mark, if you will. All right? So we know that pretty substantially there, right? Pretty substantially. But we're also dealing with a very, very, uh, this is the most famous of the three. This is the most famous, best known producer of the three. All right? All right. You guys ready to jump into something different? Let's talk about Vino de la Piera, uh, coming from Castilla La Mancha. So, uh, the Vino de la Piera discovers all the territory within the Autonomia of uh, Castilla La Mancha. And this is a continental climate with extreme lack of rainfall. In fact, this is the area where you have so much tempranillo being grown, and it's all grown uh, bush tree vines, and they're all separated by about a uh, And they do this because there's very, very low rainfall. Uh, there's, there's uh, the, the vines are made by farm, and they produce really exceptional fruit uh, that is used that is used all throughout Spain, but also, can I say this when I say talk about Spanish wine? It's also imported into France to be used for Bonfant <laughs> I said the F word. I'm gonna stop. I'm done. Okay, let's focus back on this. Alright, so uh, so this this particular area, this sits on the elevated meseta uh, at 
high altitude again. So the altitude here is just a little bit lower. And I'm talking just a few hundred feet lower than the altitude that you'll find within Rebeco Duero as well as Rioja. So Rebeco Duero is much higher. This is just a touch lower. Cincibel is a local name for Tempranillo here. And then this is where you have, this is very, very productive region, but it just recently got famous for its quality. And again, the reason why is because a lot of the grapes that are being grown here will be used to transport to other places and help up other places. A lot of the grapes were also used for distillation as well. And so there were some really, really cool, really tiny producers that started setting up shops here and making Nino de Pago, which is a very, very elevated status, uh, the domination of Spanish wine. And there's a handful of them all around the Sierra Mancha making awesome wines. You can rarely find them because they made us really, really small quantities. And uh, this took place uh, between the 1990s and the uh, mid to late 2000s is when all of this was happening. Really, really cool stuff. All right. So let's taste through this. I'm going to tell you what this is. Blend number four. This is a blend of 70% Tempranillo, 30% Petit Verdot. This is very, very out of the box. And this is a style of Tempranillo, if you will, that's made to compete with a lot of other ones coming out of the new world. This is a very, very, uh, very accessible style. And this is coming from the video de Oculto. This is the Malicia uh, Single Vineyard uh, 2021. Nice and young. Wow, this smells very different from like one, two, and three, right? Oh my goodness, really ripe, baked, juicy, red wine fruit, some spice. Take a nice sip of that, that's a mouthful. Very fruity, very easy drinking. I'm not spitting, oh no. <laughs> this is going to be a fantastic class. The best. Actually, second best ever. Okay, uh, how many people like this one? Raise your hands. Thank you. I've been this is so to say it, but I just delicious. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. All of these wines have a place in the in the multitude of faces of temperature, and also the name of Spanish wine. So this is a wine that is delicious, easily. Accessible. You don't necessarily have to enjoy this one's included. You'll notice that it's, this may not get to the same level of acidity as the other three did. Okay, this is a little bit softer on the palate, a little bit riper fruit. So if you're going to a party and it's poker night and you're sitting down with a bunch of folks and you're going to be playing poker, this is what you pour for them so that you can win the game. <laughs> Is uh, I think this one is uh, listed at 14%. All right, this is the brewer. Price, standard retail price. Get this. This is one of the best values. This is around about, this is under 20 bucks. I think it's like 18 bucks. What? Exactly. Exactly. So, this is a really awesome, like, one that has a lot of international appeal. You can pour this up against Australian Shabbat, you can pour it against an Argentine Malbec, against a Chilean Cabernet, against a
number five. Oh my god, I gotta hurry up. Alright, go ahead and jump into why number five. Alright? Take a few sets. Really, really fun. And I have to say, you know, it's really cool to be able to taste different uh videos like this in this format because it helps to kind of sort of solidify things. Um, studying this stuff for many, many years, I didn't really often have the opportunity to taste a piano, a reserve, a variety reserve, a yes, some other styles. When you get into two really, really serious styles of video, now starting with one number uh, five. Alright? Aside from one, two, or three, I think one number four is more frivolous and delicious, and then five and six is going to get a little more serious again. This one is very concentrated. You know, it's a little bit of a shift. You know, you go to a party and you're chatting with a friend, and suddenly you're getting into a place and you're having a couple of drinks with your friend and you're chatting, and all of a sudden the music gets better. Everything comes into focus. You go to the bathroom, you're like, I'm so beautiful. <laughs> Something just happened. Something happened. I don't know what it was. Alright, my number five is doing that for me. How many people like my number five before I tell you who it is? There we go, okay, perfect. This is really cool. This has some concentration. This has some verb. It has some verb. Alright? So this is, uh, this is something from the very best I'm going to jump back into what it is in just a moment. I'm going to tell you a little bit about where it's coming from. This is coming from the area uh, of Castilla and this is situated on the higher part of the elevated Meseta Central. What does higher part mean? It means we're aggregated about uh, roughly uh, 800 or more uh, meters, which is roughly about 2,100 feet in elevation, all right? And then this is a dramatic concept of climate where you got blistering hot summers. It's ridiculous. It's so unbearable. But you got really, really cold winters. And in between, in between, you get a fantastic growing season that promotes really nice ripeness of tempranillo. And most producers are using a really high percentage of it. Uh, so monoxic influence is really, really, really uh, prevalent here, particularly. It helps to promote quality in the vineyards. Vegas Sicilia came in, Don Nedoy y La Sada, La Sada y Chavez, founded Vegas Sicilia back in 1864. This winery became so famous, so famous, and for many years, after the 1800s, into the main best wine coming out of Spain, and it was developed right over here, okay? And in 1972, you fast forward a few years, and after Spain was recovering from General Francisco Franco and all of the different things and getting into democracy, uh, then you had 19, in 1972, Alejandro uh, Fernandez uh, founded it which also helped to establish the region, the, the region even more, all right? So they established deal status in 1982, and went from about 24 wineries to over 300 of a humongous amount of development in this region. All right? Really, really awesome. So that is Remember Guero, located Castilla de Leon. All right? Thank you. Thank you. That's very, very kind of George. Uh, I am extremely passionate about, about Spanish wine, but also passionate about history of wine. And uh, this is a really, really awesome region that deserves more attention. Uh, so this producer that you taste in here, this is Bodega's model. This was founded, this was founded by the former winemaker 
Mariano Garcia from Davis. So he was a winemaker there for 40 years and he established this winery uh, in uh, 1980. Really, really cool. 90% Tempranillo blended with Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah. And aged 15 months in a combination of French and American oak, different sizes. Uh, so this is organic and dynamically grown. And on top of that, this is this. So this spiritually represents Roberto uh, Guerrero. They set up the winery, and I I, I I I was doing some research into this to try to find out the reason why. Because you would think to yourself, hold on, hold on. This is you can't really see the bottle. This is a Vino de la Tierra. De which is a very, very, uh, it's a very relaxed uh, designation. This is Vila de la Tierra, which is a little bit lower level designation. It's not a DO. So hold on, you mean to tell me, you worked in Vegas facility for all these years, did all this stuff, and now you're going to set up a winery outside of the very world? What are you doing? Well, think about it like this. He did that. He's been there, done that. I don't think that that they wanted this particular winery, this project, to be measured so closely to Vegas facility. So think about that. So they're located just west of, uh, just west of the Duero, and I think you know, this is only a few kilometers west, just outside of the area called Pugera de Duero, all right? Just on the banks of the uh, of the Duero uh, River. And this, again, this spiritually represents the Duero Duero, represents that commitment to excellence, um, but at the same time, slightly different. <laughs> very, very complicated style, very simple. And this is the most expensive one. Thing. <laughs> Anybody want to guess? 60. 70 bucks. That's a great one. That's a nice one. No, that's 70 bucks. It's only $55. Guys. Winning. You want to get this if you can find it? It's delicious. Uh, I would say 
the uh, in terms of all of the ones we tried, even except for number four, except for the country of Asia, Coral is is unfortunately doesn't get enough attention in terms of the amazingness of the one, but also their their versatility at the table because they have so much richness and weight. Uh, a lot of people tend to kind of sort of overlook them, but they can be really pretty. And you say, oh, you know, like, what's your favorite? For the most 
part, I'll be talking about the smaller producers. Because I love being the underdog. I was an underdog. I love promoting the underdogs. But keep this in mind, very important in terms of the context of what we're talking about. You need giants like LVMH to invest in specific areas to help promote that area. So you have the little guy standing next to uh, next to the media, for example. Uh, what's the name of the media? Alright, you need smaller people there next to the big guys and they can promote their wine and the reason why people are listening to them and giving them the time of day is because you got wines like this. Alright, so it's very important in the context of the development of this region. You gotta have that. Alright, so their production is relatively small, 6,000 cases, which is about the amount that you would expect from, let's say, a, a relatively uh, well-known producer in Napa Valley, however, in Napa Valley, they don't ship their wines all over the world and share between 25, 30 different countries. So, Numantia does. Now, let me ask you this. How much do you think this costs? 60. For 60 bucks. 22 dollars. It's got to be less than 59. Especially if it if this paella is made from some made by somebody that really likes making paella, 
and it's getting some of that rice at the bottom of the pan crisped up a little bit. I know I'm getting a really bad with this. Uh, I'm a big fan. I would go for maybe, I'd probably go for wine number three with that. I would go with wine number three. Flavor more complex, it's very sweet, it has really good acidity, and it has really nice spice notes. It'll work well with the caramelization in that rice at the bottom of the pan. And now, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that Dracina Wines has a wine club? We named it the Chalk Club. Draco is on our label, but Vegas was getting a bit jealous, so we decided he deserved to be our wine club spokesdog. In Las Vegas, betting chalk means that you are betting on all of the favorites, and we're gambling that once you taste our wines, we will become one of your favorite wineries. The club is simple, yet a bit different than most. We don't ask for a lot of commitment like others do. Choose between three tiers. The Sweet 16, where you'll receive three bottles twice a year and get 25% off all orders. Sign up for the Elite 8 and get 30% off all orders and receive four bottles twice a year. Or make it to the Final Four and receive six bottles twice a year, as well as receiving 35% off all purchases. All tiers receive discounted shipping, are customizable, and are eligible for unlimited referral bonuses. Add $15 to your bank for each person you refer. Head to www.dracinawines.com or the link in the show notes to find out all the Chalk Club has to offer and to sign up. We've stocked the odds so that you can get our award-winning wines without breaking the bank. You are special this has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbutt. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kevins. Until next week, slancha. No, 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 never let you go. Oh, no, 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 I want to let you go right now.